When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than simply studying an ancient text. Uh, We believe that God actually speaks to us through these words. So we're going to take just a moment to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so that we can listen to God's word. Ephesians 2, 14 through 22. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by one Spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. I remember not too long ago, a few years now, a friend said to me that she was lonely before the pandemic. She was already lonely, but then when COVID hit and we all went into lockdown, it became socially acceptable to say it out loud. To say it out loud, I'm lonely, I'm feeling lonely. I was listening to a podcast recently with the U.S. Attorney General, Dr. Vivek Morthy, and he describes a a loneliness epidemic. You probably have heard that, seen that named in in news articles and surveys. He names a loneliness epidemic in the U.S. today, and he names that more than half of all Americans report feeling lonely, and that numbers actually increase the, the younger that you are. And in this, he says loneliness is bad for our mental health, He says loneliness is bad for our physical health, all the ramifications on our physical health. And Dr. Morthy says all of that is just a recipe for despair, for despair, this public health crisis of loneliness. So I hope in part, if you hear that, if you're feeling lonely, I hope you know that you're not alone. I'm not alone in that. But what do we do with that, those feelings of loneliness, especially when we feel it not just occasionally, but but chronically? What do we do with feelings of loneliness for us, for those around us, the people we work with or live near or go to school with? What do we do with feelings when we feel isolated, like when we feel disconnected, when we feel that shattering of shalom, when we feel that increased vision in our country, when you feel like an outsider looking in, like you feel kind of other, when you feel disconnected? Maybe you can relate to any of those things. Maybe you find yourself in a new season, like just moved to a new city or just started at a new school or just started a new job. Maybe you're in a season of grief or burnout and all of that can just make you feel lonely. You feel the weight of loneliness. And of course, this makes sense. As a follower of Jesus, this makes sense to me that that we were made for connection. This is the life we were made for. And so, of course, a desire for connection and the and the heartache and heartbreak when we don't have connection, I mean, that makes sense. We are made to know God, and God has revealed himself to us as a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, this divine community of love. That's the God we worship tonight. 
That's the God who breathed us into existence, who, who spoke creation into being, three persons, one God. And the psalmist reflecting on God's work in the world says this in Psalm 68, God sets the lonely in families. I love that verse. God sets the lonely in families. And we may hear that maybe from like a Western mindset that kind of idolizes the nuclear family as if it's all about a parent or parents and two and a half kids and a dog or if you're a cat person, a cat or whatever. But to speak of family, it's invoking a kinship, a belonging that transcends the nuclear family. In his life and teaching, Jesus expands the definition of family, redefines what it means to be family in a way that actually kind of startled and unsettled the culture around him, including his own family. So we're in this series now, this eight-week series, talking about, okay, who are we as a local church? Two and a half years into existence, what are we about? What are we trying to be about? What's the dream? What's the vision? What's the why that motivates us and propels us into the world? And our vision together is this, to see signs of Christ's renewal in central Denver and beyond. Jesus, who is present and at work, to see what God is doing and to lean in, to see what Jesus is up to and to be a part of it. So what are these signs of what God's doing? We talk about community, justice, beauty, wholeness, and worship. Tonight we're looking at community. Here's how two authors and pastors put it, J.R. Woodard and Dan White Jr. Community becomes the blazing signpost that we have encountered the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Community, the cultivation of community, people finding their seat at the table, people belonging, outsiders not feeling like outsiders, but becoming part of the family of God. It's the signpost to the world that we've actually encountered God who is three in one. So three really simple observations for tonight. It's Labor Day weekend. It's raining. Let's just, let's just get to it. Three really simple observations when we talk about community as a sign of God's work among us. First is this. It's hard. If you're taking notes, write hard. <laughs> Community is hard. Community is hard. I always kind of laugh when someone asks me what my hobbies are. Do you ever get that kind of in like small talk, you know? I don't have hobbies. Do you have hobbies? I don't have hobbies. And so I always feel this pressure, you know? I'm like, I don't know. What do I enjoy doing? I like, I, well, okay, I did go fly fishing yesterday for the first time. Thank you. I'm not sure if that <laughs> has reached hobby level. Uh, but yeah, so I finally have one. I like watching baseball. I really enjoy watching baseball. I like going to games. Rockies are not so great, so their tickets are really cheap. Bad for the Rockies, great for me, because I get to go to cheap baseball games. Uh, I grew up, I was born in Atlanta. I grew up a Braves fan growing up in the 90s. That was really fun. If you know anything about your baseball history, it was fun, and it was heartbreaking at the same time. And a phrase that you will hear in the baseball world a lot is, is how, uh, how can you not be romantic about baseball? It's this line that commentators will say, how can you not be romantic about the sport of baseball? And it's just kind of naming the nostalgia around baseball, kind of the poetic, like the beauty of the game, the beauty of the sport. It's a line that Brad Pitt, his character, says in the movie Moneyball, uh, if you've seen that. And I was watching the clip today, and he says it, and I, like, I got tears in my eyes. Like I was, I was like, oh, I need help. You know, but, but, <laughs> but there's this nostalgia, right? And I think sometimes we do that about the church particularly the early church. 
Like, how can you not be romantic about those early Christians? They just had it figured out. They're constantly breaking bread, and they're meeting together in their homes and the temple, and they're listening to the apostles' teaching, and the Lord is adding to their numbers every day. Like, how can you not be romantic about the early church? They just had it figured out. Okay, well, it's true that these early followers of Jesus are encountering the love and power of the risen Jesus, that Jesus is at work, that things are changing. That's true. And, and... It was really, really hard for the early church to figure out, okay, how do we do this, this following Jesus thing? How do we actually do this? It was really hard. There were all sorts of divisions in their community. You start flipping through the New Testament, and you see this. There's classism. There's ethnic divisions. There were the rich Christians excluding the poor ones. There was conflict between men and women. There was gossip and backstabbing and and playing favorites. If we talk about the ethnic division for a moment, these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians trying to figure out how do we go from hating each other and wanting nothing to do with each other to saying, hey, brother and sister in Christ. In our passage today that Tina read, you hear Paul naming this reality of Christ himself is our peace. There was a dividing wall. It's come down in the name of Jesus. There was this barrier keeping us apart. In Christ, we're coming together. One new humanity. You hear that. And while that's all true, Paul is naming truth, reality of what God is doing. While that's all true, it's really hard to act like it's true. It's really hard to live into that reality of coming together in the name of Jesus. All this hostility, all these differences, it took years of struggle and getting it wrong. And Paul's saying, you're getting it wrong. It took years of struggle for these local church communities to figure out, okay, how do we stay united in the midst of all our differences? We can talk about community and we can recognize that there are forces all around us that can pull us apart. We can talk about community and the cultivation of community and the sign that God's at work and the goodness of it, and we can talk about how hard it is. Each of us brings our own stories. I don't know all of your stories. I know each of us has our story, lots of goodness in our past, and lots of harm in our past. Maybe your parents, maybe your family of origin, maybe somewhere else along the way, hurt and harm and wounds. Each of us brings that into into this thing we call the church. Maybe you've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. I have a little bit of a cold, I have to enunciate. Hurt people hurt people. Maybe you've heard that phrase, right? That we, our stuff spills out on each other, right? And maybe you've also heard the phrase, healed people heal people. As you experience healing, as you do your work, uh, we can bring that into our relationships, that healing presence. But the truth is, the reality is, I think most of us, if not all of us, we're somewhere in between. We're in process. Hurt people, hurt people, heal people, heal people. And we're all kind of in between somewhere, trying to figure out what does it mean to be community. I have a mentor of mine who used to say when he was like alone with God, he felt really kind. When it was just like just him and God, and he just has his like Bible open and he's sipping on his coffee, he's like, I am so patient. I'm so loving and gentle, you know? Like, I, I feel like I'm very Christ-like, you know? And then he closes the Bible and he goes to work or he starts talking to his roommate or whatever the scenario, and he's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I got some work to do. I got some rough edges. Forgiveness, grace, truth-telling, mercy, these are not abstract terms that we play out in the, the hypothetical. These are deeply relational terms. 
how do we do this together? My old therapist, she used to talk about this idea that that we were created for a relationship, right? Like we were made, and she would kind of do these like hand motions of like we were meant to be open. We were meant to embrace others and be embraced by others. But all of us, again, we have our stories and we've learned how to protect. We've, we've closed off. We've got defense mechanisms or whatever it is where we kind of go like this. And we're all on this journey to learn how to open back up again. And if you or anything like me, I have this dance where I want that and I don't want that. I want to move towards other people, and I don't know how. I'm scared. I don't want to be hurt again, and this feels a lot safer. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we lift his name high, because God keeps doing his good work in us, helping us learn what it means to open up. And so in this, community is hard. Point number one, we can be honest about the disappointment we felt in the church community about the messiness of it, the awkwardness of it. I can't guarantee those table groups won't be awkward at times. It's all part of it. We can be honest about the inevitability of conflict. Community is hard. Point number two, community is slow. It's slow. I moved to Colorado in 2008, fresh out of grad school, just a few years removed from undergrad, so I was used to having people around me all the time. And then I moved to Colorado, I was working at a church, and I really wanted community. I wanted to belong, you know? I wanted to belong to a group, right? And I had people in my life that I could go get coffee with, that I could go to dinner with, but it wasn't the same. I wanted a a community, and that just took time. It's a slow process. A friend told me yesterday that she started working at a new place, a new school, about a year ago, and it took a year to build trust with her coworkers to where they got to the point that when she invited them out for drinks after work or whatever it was, that they would say yes. It took a year of just building trust with her coworkers until they were ready to respond to her invitation. Community is slow, and here's the problem. I don't like slow. (laughs) It's actually kind of funny to me that I like baseball, because I don't know if you've noticed, but it's really slow. It's a really slow sport. In fact, they changed the rules this year in the majors. They added a pitch clock amongst other things, because they're like, we got to speed this up. Like, people are bailing on the game of baseball. <laughs> we got to make this a little faster, because this is so slow. I personally like fast. I like to talk fast. I like to walk fast. I like to get things done fast. I like efficiency in that. I like fast results. If I'm trying something new, I want it to work, and I want it to work right now. And the formation of community, like any relationship, is just slow. It's a process. In fact, when we talk about these signs of community and beauty and justice and wholeness and worship, it's really good to keep in mind all of that is slow. Seeking justice, slow. Creating, creating anything, it's slow. Seeking wholeness in our own stories, it's slow. Wanting to see people come alive to God. I read this, heard the story the other day about someone, they were praying for their friend for 25 years to come and know Jesus. Slow. And we actually have to keep that in mind to keep from becoming kind of tranquilistic, to keep from getting jaded or burnt out or bail when it gets hard. It's a slow process. And so I keep coming back to this prayer again and again. It's by a, a Jesuit priest, and it's just the first part of his prayer. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. 
I keep coming back to that prayer ever since I first heard it about a year ago. And I have a friend who's a pastor in North Carolina, and in their gathering space, they have this banner that has that prayer on it. And so week after week, they're gathering as a small local church. And week after week, they're seeing those words, above all, trust in the slow work of God. So how do we hang in when it's hard, when it's slow? Our vision is to see signs of Christ's renewal. It's Jesus who will do it. It's Jesus who makes all things new. It's Jesus who draws us into the family of God. It's Jesus who is the good and loving and just judge who will set all things right in the end. It's Jesus who draws people to himself. It's Jesus the beautiful one who invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. It's Jesus who brings wholeness to our stories. Christ who is our peace. Christ who in his death on the cross destroyed the hostility between us and God. We get to participate. We're not passive. It's an active role. We're not checked out. We're not bailing. We're not disengaged. But it's really good and really helpful to remember it's Christ who will build Christ's church. If you feel like saying amen, you can say it. It's God who will do it. It's not writing on me. It's not writing on you. It's Christ who will draw us. Marissa Franco, in her book, Platonic, she says, adult friendships don't just happen. (laughs) She says, they don't just happen. They don't happen organically. She says, taking initiative is required. Adult friendships, taking initiative is required. But she also names these ways that we kind of disengage in that process, in the process of forming friendships. According to Franco, she said, uh, we engage in overt avoidance. So if someone invites you out, you say no. Um, you don't join the meetup group. You don't join in in that activity. There's overt avoidance. But she says there's also covert avoidance. And so you do show up at the event, but you're on your phone the whole time because that feels a little easier to do. There's kind of covert ways that we pull back, that we don't lean in. We proclaim the good news tonight that Christ is bringing shalom that Christ is restoring all things, that Christ is at work, and Christ invites us to join in. It's not passive or disengaged, but leaning in to what God is doing. Dr. Morthy compares the feeling of loneliness to the feeling of being hungry or thirsty. Our body saying, hey, something's going on. A signal in our own body, loneliness, a sign to seek connection. And so we keep showing up, trusting in the slow work of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who resisted the rise of Hitler and the Nazi regime and was martyred for it. In his book, Life Together, he wrote this, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. More clearly, we learn to recognize the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone. The more calmly we will learn to think about our community, and pray, and hope for it. The reality that God brings about. It's really good news that it's not something we build on our own, our own strength. It's Christ who will do it. Community is hard. Community is slow. Okay, have a good night. Let's go. (laughs) Just kidding. Last one. Community is good. There's a goodness to it, worth pursuing, worth fighting for, worth showing up for, worth engaging, worth saying, okay, Jesus, help me figure it out. And it's not just you and Jesus, but in the company of people, help me figure this out. Community is good. We read in Genesis 2 and creation, 
Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And that's not just talking about a marriage relationship or romantic love. It's talking about the reality of what it means to be human. The reality of what it means to be a human being, that we're designed to need each other. And for all of our stories of how hard community can be, and I'm sure you have your story, I'm also betting that most of us in this room have a story of the sweetness of community, of being known and cared for and loved, of being held in your grief or cared for in your sickness, of being prayed for when you're at a crossroads and you really need wisdom, of the body of Christ surrounding you and supporting you and challenging you, of linking arms together to follow Jesus. I was sharing just the other day with some friends about a conflict that I've been having that I'm walking through with someone. And, and it's a conflict that I share a lot of responsibility for. And so it like kicks up a lot of shame in me. Uh, my part in that and the, and the hurt I caused in that, it kicks up a lot of shame. And so I was reaching out to two of my really good friends. And, and one of my friends said to me, she said, we're holding you. Okay, you're not alone in this. And that feeling of shame and all that came with it, we're holding you. And then she said this, we know you as brave and courageous and shadowed and healing and wounded and beautiful. And I'll be honest, uh, I kind of recoiled at first when she called me shadowed. Is that how I want to be known? <laughs> but she did so with such kindness that she fully sees me. The beautiful parts and the shadow parts. And she was naming something that I didn't want to name about myself. And she was doing so with such compassion. She knows me. And she's pointing me towards life, towards Jesus, even in that moment. So tonight we name the reality. God, you're at work. We want to see what you're doing. We want to join in. We want to be about cultivating community. And we know it's hard and we know it's slow and we know it's good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, Christ is building you into a place where God lives through his spirit. God is at work. And so we pray. We don't want to just be a bunch of individuals in the room together. We pray that Christ would draw us in towards each other and towards himself. The spirit would be at work among us. Each week as we talk about our vision, we're naming a simple practice, a way to act like it's true, a way to live into it. Tonight, I just want to mention the practice of hospitality. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word hospitality, if you think of Pinterest boards or whatever it might be. The practice of, of hospitality, I want you to think about it in this way of welcoming others into our lives. Welcoming others into our lives. I was talking with a new friend this week named Carrie, and as she talked about hospitality, she said this. She said, it's not entertainment. She said, hospitality is offering my true and authentic self and welcoming your true and authentic self no matter who you are. Offering who I truly am, shadowed and beautiful, and welcoming who you truly are no matter who you are. Here's how one author puts it. Hospitality is at the heart of the Christian life, drawing from God's grace and reflecting God's graciousness. In hospitality, we respond to the welcome that God offered and replicate that welcome in the world. We respond to God's gracious welcome to us and towards us and for us, and we replicate that in the world. And so a practice this week, share a meal with someone. It could be someone you see all the time. It could be a coworker. You could sign up for a table group, and then you're done. 
Your homework is done. <laughs> Share a meal with someone. Hospitality, of course, is not just being host. It's also being guest. It's that offering and receiving. So maybe it's accepting an invitation to share a meal with someone, to sit around a table, to lean in to this welcome, this receiving and offering of yourself. Friends, we're going to come now to this table. We call it communion. It's communion with God and with each other. Some traditions would say, okay, you can you know, have communion by yourself as an individual. And we actually say, no, this is meant to be done in community as part of worship, that we actually come together, all of us. And this table is open to anyone who calls in the name of Jesus. You're welcome here. And as you come tonight, I do pray that you would think about what it means that God welcomes you here, this wide welcome offered to you, no strings attached, no conditions, no if you do this first, no, the grace of God reaches out and you're welcomed in. And so I do pray that you would feel that and know that. Let's start here. If we want to be a church that's about cultivating community, if we want to figure out how to invite people to belong, if we want to go out into the world and offer the wide welcome of God to others, well, let's start here to receive the welcome that God offers us. May it settle deep into our souls. I had a rough week. I don't know about you. May it settle deep into our souls that Christ welcomes us here to receive, to remember what Christ has done, to meet here. You come to this table, and this might be your first time here. You literally may know no one here. You don't come alone. We come together as the body of Christ. The wide welcome of God. And so we come to receive what Christ has done for us, to take simple, ordinary things, bread and grape juice, and to remember all over again what Christ has done for us on the cross.